Okay, we sprung forward today. Did you know you lost an hour of sleep last night? Did you let Siri do it for you? Or did you Google, what time is it? Did you go, I Googled what time it is it at like 5 a.m. Um, which I think at 3 a.m., I think it's 3 a.m. twice. Is that, is that what it is? It's 2 a.m. twice? Somebody said 2. Is that what it is? Like if you actually stayed up and watched the time change, it would be 2, 2 a.m. twice. That's how it goes. If you didn't know that, you know now. Um, well, I'm Kirby, like Rob said. I'm normally right here. Maybe I'll preach from right here. Is that okay? And just like play my own music. Um, <laughs> I'm really comfortable right there. Um, I'm less comfortable doing this, but it's cool. It's cool. Um, I'm excited today to, to talk, to speak to you, to share my heart. We've been in the John series, Image of God series. Have you been enjoying John so far? Yeah. yeah. Um, today, our word and our image is fever. That may or may not be Blake Wiggins. <laughs> Blake's back there. He was right here. He's got some music out, and that's like, I think, a cool little shot from something. I don't know. Anyway, um, our word today is fever. I'm going to just jump right into the passage. Is that okay? I really don't have anything else funny to say in the beginning. So <laughs> let's just go right in, okay? Um, today we're going to look at John 4, 43 through 54. I didn't choose this passage. Rob gave it to me. So if it doesn't inspire you, <laughs> you can talk to him after. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, okay, let's just read. I'll banter forever, so... After the two days, he left for Galilee. Okay, let me, let me just back up for a minute. We've been going through like a linear series in John. We we're kind of reading it all the way through. So last week, we talked about woman at the well, and Jesus was in Samaria. His, he spent two days extra there after he met the woman at the well. The people in the village were like, hey, can you stay? Can you spend some time with us? He was like, sure. So he stayed two days with them, taught them stuff. They loved it. They all believed. Cool. Y'all can go back and read. You can go back and listen. Justin preached a great word last week. It was super sweet, super awesome. So that's where we're at. So after the two days spent in Samaria, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, and they had, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. That was the first sign, the first miracle. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And this is what Jesus says. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official says, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the good news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. 
let's go back to the, to the beginning of this passage. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. Doesn't that sound kind of rude of Jesus? <laughs> it's like, Jesus, what do you mean? Have you ever gotten a text from someone and you're like, bro, are you mad? And you like spent all night like riddled with anxiety. Like, what did, what, what did you mean by that? Do you, do you know this feeling? Text doesn't communicate tone, right? <laughs> so you call them up or you at least send a voice text like, huh, I just wanted to make sure that we're good because I can't quite understand what you meant in that text you sent me. So when we read this, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. It almost seems dismissive of this plea that this royal official has. His son is close to death, and he comes to Jesus. And I want to point a couple things out. This is the first documented healing miracle that we see in the Bible. As readers, we know that it happens all through the Gospels, but this is the first time it's documented. So this guy is taking a huge risk, right? He just hears that Jesus is on the move. And so he's desperate for his son's healing, and he runs, and he goes, hoping to intercept Jesus. He's not even guaranteed that that will happen. He's not even guaranteed that he can do that kind of thing. This is a huge risk, right, that this royal official is just, all right, I'm desperate. If you are who we all think you might be, it's worth the risk. So I'm going to run. I'm going to go and try to intercept you on your way somewhere else and hope to run into you. And I love that. I love that about this royal official. He's got this bold faith where he, he's, he's even like important. And he goes and he tries to intercept Jesus himself and he does. And it's amazing. He hears that Jesus is traveling, goes to intercept him, doesn't know if he'll actual, actually run into him. And Jesus almost seems like He's like dismissive. But what we know about this word you, unless you people see signs and wonders, it's plural. So there's probably more people around. So Jesus is probably not saying it to just him. He's probably trying to make a point, right? See, at this point, he's used to Pharisees testing him. He's used to um, people taunting him like, are you who you say you are? Are you really the Messiah? He's used to this testing posture. A lot of people... And um, a lot of the Pharisees that were really high up, they wanted to see high miracles. So in other translations, it says, unless I dazzle you with a show, you won't believe. Unless I put on a show for you, unless you high person receive or see this high miracle, this high thing I can do to dazzle you, you won't believe. And actually that word believe means to put trust in. Unless I show off, you're not going to put your trust in me. And it's almost like Jesus is a little brokenhearted. Or he's being a little sarcastic and trying to prove a point. Who knows? But what I did learn as I was studying, because I don't have an MDiv or anything. I'm not a scholar. (laughs) But I do love the word of God. And I'm not a theologian, but I am a friend of God. Amen? How many friends of God do I have in the house? Yeah. Um, So what I learned is that This phrase that Jesus uses is a similar, if not the same, literary tone as what he used in the first miracle when he turns the water into wine. Do you guys remember this? 
his mom says, hey, turn this water into wine. And he's like, woman, why do you involve me? That's literally what he says. Woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Okay. He, Mary doesn't even respond back to Jesus. She just looks at the servants and says, do whatever he says. She's like dismissive of his woman, why do you involve me? So this, that tone, picture that kind of tone on this. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. It's also a similar literary tone to another story I want to tell you about. Remember when the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus. She's, her daughter is demon-possessed. This is in Matthew. Sorry, I've got references for this. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Matthew 15, 24 through 28. This woman comes to Jesus interrupts something, asks for him to heal her daughter, and he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, and it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Rude. Rude, Jesus. But because we know there's similar tones in all of these statements, we can assume that Jesus is trying to say a lot more than he's saying, right? And not only that, He's trying to, like, it's almost like he's setting setting up the person to respond to prove an even bigger point. I was asking somebody, what's the, what is it, Ryan? Say it out loud. Bump, set, spike. spike. I was like, what's that, what's the term in sports (laughs) whenever you, like, toss a ball up and you're, like, setting up somebody to spike it? And I know you can either do that kind of thing, like, for dunking or in basketball or, like, spiking for volleyball. I was trying to get it right. (laughs) I'm not really a sports person. So, um, but it's like Jesus is doing that. He's like tossing the ball up with this like weird thing. He's saying, woman, why do you involve me? (laughs) Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never put your trust in me. Toss the ball, smack it down. I love what the Syrophoenician woman says. Because Jesus is like, it's not right for me to take what's the special people's and give it to the dogs. And she says, well, even... Or even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Mary's, Mary's response, do whatever he says. And then this guy's response, sir, calm down before my child dies. What I love about this is this guy takes this risk, doesn't know if Jesus can heal yet, doesn't know if he'll even bump into him. He didn't come to see a show. He didn't come to see Jesus. He came to get Jesus. He came to get him desperate, like, hey, no, I don't. He's probably like pushing through crowds, you know? He's probably like having a lot of hassle. He didn't come to see Jesus. He came to get him. Hey, no, 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 come down to Capernaum. My son is close to death. He has this fever that won't break. And Jesus doesn't go and He doesn't go down to Capernaum, but he says, go, your son will live. And the royal official takes him at his word. He doesn't come to see Jesus. He came to get Jesus. I love this story. And the first, the biggest, most obvious thing I take away from this story is simply ask. Ask God. Ask God for big things. Ask God for small things. Just ask him. 
risk looking stupid, (laughs) risk looking foolish, risk not getting the answer you hoped for. Just ask, ask, ask. That's the biggest first takeaway I get when I read this. It's just asking. What are we asking God for? Are you asking him for anything? Are you asking him for just big things? Just small things? Nothing at all? This is all hypothetical. Or, yeah, sorry. I just had two babies, and sometimes pregnancy, like, takes words out of one part of your brain and puts them somewhere else, and you're like, wait, what does that mean? What's the word I'm looking for? And you can't find it. There's another word I'm looking for, but I can't find it. Anyway, it's not where it used to be. (laughs) Um, Who who knows what I'm talking about? (laughs) Thank you. Um, Speaking of parenting, parenting will make you ask God questions all day long. Right? I will ask God everything. Like, God, where are Lolly's shoes? Please. We are late. We are so late. You know, Lord, you know that they're going to be mad if I'm late. Where are her shoes? And like, even just the posture of turning to the Lord will calm me down long enough to remember where they were. Or he'll just maybe like tell me, like, like give me some inkling and I'll kind of know. But I ask him about all kinds of stuff. When my kids are sick, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've Googled it all. Like, you're going to have to give me, like, the critical wisdom in this moment. Like, literally, it's like, how do I hold this child? Do you ever ask God those really specific questions and really feel like he led you? That is my experience with the Lord in parenting. I'm asking him about everything. Because if you Google too much, you know, yikes. You get a bunch of mommy blogs and Those are really affirming and really help you feel less alone, but they can also really scare you (laughs) and really terrify you. So I try to avoid those. I just ask. I try to ask God more things than I Google. Um, It is a struggle. But yes, the biggest thing and the first thing I see here is ask. Ask God big questions. Um, Many of you know mine and Rob's story of infertility, and I know we talk about this a lot. And I won't apologize for that because it shaped my relationship with God. <laughs> it changed our lives. So I can't help but bring it up. <laughs> I tried not to bring it up today, but I was like, I can't. I can't not be honest with you about what shaped my reality, the reality of my relationship with the Lord. Um, I stumbled across a um, screenshot I took of my phone. You know, like those for you photos that pop up on your phone. Do you ever look at those? It's pretty fun. Um, it's just for you. It's not like you have to, it's not the time hop that's public on Facebook. You, it's just for you, you know. It's kind of great. I love being reminded of different seasons, and sometimes I hate it. But anyway, this photo popped up on my phone. You read that? It's Pippa. I mean, that's not the, it, it, she is very cute. <laughs> but that's not the point of it. The point of this image, I wish I could just, I want to zoom in on it right now. I can't do it. Um, that is a reminder on my phone, and it says, ask him again, and it's a little pregnancy emoji. And I had that reminder go off on my phone every day for a long time. So for seven years, we asked God for, oh, oh, 
look, a cute little Zoom. Oh, it's not a pregnant emoji. It's an actual baby emoji. Hmm, look at that. Look at God. Um, ask him again. Popped up, my, popped up on my phone every day. Every single day. I forget what time. I probably chose, I don't know what time. I probably chose a, a sneaky time that wouldn't like totally ruin my day. Because um, it's hard being reminded, right, of things that aren't true yet that you're believing God for. It's really hard. This is hard. Somebody feels me over here. This is hard. Relationship with God is hard. Trusting God is hard. It's hard. But this was a discipline I chose to enter into every single day. And my, my ask of him changed over those years. For about four years, it was ask him again. I was just asking for the miracle. I was just asking to get pregnant. And then it shifted to, okay, God, <laughs> I'm just focused on the one way I want you to do this. What do I need to know? I started asking him other questions. And he showed me, hey, I actually want to heal your trauma, and I want to show you, give you a front row seat to this whole thing. I want you to do IVF, which is the thing I was avoiding. And God and science collide <laughs> with your conscience and, like, all the mystery, and you have to do a lot of research, and you're like, oh, this is uncomfortable. But it's actually way less uncomfortable than I thought, and it's actually really awesome and really beautiful. And I cannot believe it took me so long to ask you a different question. <laughs> But maybe it took four years of asking just the basic one to get to more questions. So the point I want to continue to make throughout this, my entire talk with you. Do I have a countdown? I just got real nervous. Okay, cool. Um, is asking, sometimes just a simple ask is the doorway to a full relationship with God. And the discipline of asking him again, even for, the, for, the, for that one big thing, even that's all you're doing, it turns into more. It turns into more questions. It turns into a beautiful, rich communion with God. I look back over those seven years, I'm like, that built my relationship with God in a way that I never would have imagined prior. It was heartbreaking. I wrestled with him. I shook my fist at him. I cursed at him. What? Yes, I got mad at him, and I told him I was mad. <laughs> I asked why a lot. And then we entered this, like, beautiful partnership with these other. Can you put that, can you put it back up on the screen? Maybe it's Pippa that's helping me, like, feel really comforted or something. But this reminder, this, this was, like, scaffolding to build up this relationship I had with God and that I still have. This built me. This hard time built me, and it built us. And I, I wouldn't change it. I learned years ago that I'd rather, I'd rather would have begged God for a miracle than never asked him at all. I heard Aaron Keyes say once, um, it's one thing to have unanswered prayers, but it's another to have unprayed prayers. So are you asking God? Are you asking God for what you need? Are you asking him for anything? 
Ask him, ask, 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 because that is the doorway that leads to oh, communion, relationship. And that's, that's really what we're talking about today. We're talking about relationship with God. The problem with asking for anything, though, is we can't control the outcome, right? We can't tr- control how it happens. We can't control when. We can't control what happens. We can't control the outcome. We can't be certain of how things will turn out. That's the problem with asking. And as humans, we hate vulnerability. We love certainty because certainty helps us control helps us know everything that's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what time, where's my like packing list, how do I prepare for the future, give me that snapshot, Lord, give me a packing list. You give me a packing list at least. Don't I wish. Don't you wish God would give you a packing list for the next 10 years? <laughs> but he's probably not going to give us a packing list, right? We love certainty. Here's the problem with certainty. Certainty I've realized is faith like an adult. But God calls us to faith like a child. And being a child is vulnerable. And I know vulnerability is like a kind of a hype word in, in the culture and culture right now, but it is like real true. Because when you enter into that kind of relationship with God where you're you're his partner and You're asking him about things all day long. You're asking for the wisdom. You're asking him to open your eyes to be on mission for him. You have that kind of dynamic in your relationship. And you're going to maybe ask him some big questions. And you're going to hold out your hands and and not know what he's going to say or not know how this situation will go or turn out or if the healing will come or not. And we're left with this like space where we enter in this space with God where he can respond however he's going to respond or not. It might not be the way we asked, but what else will we see, right, in, re- in relationship? with What else can we see that he's doing? Another question I want to ask is what, what are you focused on today? Like what are you asking God for and are you – because I, I want to encourage us all to ask him anything and everything. But I also want to encourage us to open our eyes and not just focus on those results or those outcomes. But actually see all the other ways that he's moving and doing good. I had someone ask me the other day, how do I see God? I don't feel God in my life. And I said, look for the good. Look for the good. In James it says, every good and perfect gift comes to you from God, from the Father of heavenly lights. It's like really beautifully written. If you can see the good, you can see God. So find the good. I love that. Um, hold on. I got to get, get back in my notes. I want to, um, I don't have like a bunch of points for you. It's really just. I really wanted to paint a picture of relationship and call us to ask. And I believe for miracles, and I've seen them happen. But I've also seen it not happen, 
And I felt more inclined to talk about that today, if that's okay. Um, and I'm about to read something that is, um, I'll just read it. But this is a blog post that I stumbled upon by a girl named Jane who's no longer living. She died of cancer like just a few weeks ago this year. Um, People call her Nightbird. She was on America's Got Talent um, during battling cancer. And it's, she's just got a beautiful story. And I'm going to read you part of her blog post called God is on the Bathroom Floor. And she wrote this because, you know, when you're going through inten- intense treatments like that, you get very sick. So she was on the floor of the bathroom a lot. You can go to her blog and you can read it, but prior to where I'm going to start in this blog, it's, you know, she's talking about that. So we're going to, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I've had cancer three times in a row, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. I love this part. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day. Sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They, f- they fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat day and night, sunrise and sunset. Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they did not pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? The same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? Just a little bit more. 
I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. <laughs> Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I will repeat until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go and lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy, and I can't really explain it, but God is there. Even now, I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. And if you can't see him look lower, God is on the bathroom floor. I probably could have just read that. But I stumbled upon this a few weeks ago and I thought wow what a relationship with God how beautiful is it that someone begging God for a specific miracle could have a relationship with him like that I'm so inspired I know I know it's I know it's kind of dark but isn't it so beautiful? It's so beautiful. And it's so real. The pain, the intense pain that she's feeling. The anxiety, probably. <laughs> but her eyes are wide open to the prayers, that, to the answered prayers that she did not pray. I love that she's highlighting the Israelite shoes. They didn't wear out. They're not praying about their shoes. There's so many things we're not praying about but are provided. Yeah. There's good everywhere. When I look back at those seven years of asking him to do this miracle for me, I realize that those seven years built this container to hold even harder questions I would ask later. That discipline of asking him again and what that led to, it led to this partnership with the Holy Spirit that I can't even, I wouldn't have probably had otherwise. It took pain to bring me there. It took desperation to bring me that kind of, to make me that dependent on God. So my biggest question for us today is, are we cultivating the kind of relationship that can sustain Unanswered prayers, hard questions, and tension. Because I can promise you, and I was, I was in a co-write the other day. We were, we were wanting to write a song about the promises of God. And I was like, well, what are the promises of God? Because I didn't, I didn't want to write a song that felt untrue. And one, one of the person, people in the co-write said, actually, first thing that comes to my mind is, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And a promise that he'll give us 
comfort in trials. This is mostly New Testament promises I'm talking about. There's so many other promises. But a lot of them have to do with that dependency in hard times. And that is relationship. And I, what I want to do today, I, like I said, I don't have a point except to ins- hopefully inspire all of us to get in relationship with God, like that kind. Yes, the kind where he can change your mind. And so many of us, we're coming to God these days. I'm on the sidelines of people asking big prayers about big, hard things. And to be honest with you, when I read this story, this passage of the Roman official, when I ask myself, where am I in this story? First thing that I notice is I'm the reason why God uses or Jesus uses the plural you. I'm on the sidelines of that royal official going, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it or not? Is he going to heal that boy of cancer? Is he going to heal this person? Is he going to come through? I'm the, I'm the person in the crowd beside that man of faith with my faith on the line <laughs> a lot of times. And so can we, are we cultivating a relationship that can sustain those hard questions when the answer doesn't come like we expect, when the healing doesn't come? And sometimes it absolutely does. And do we rejoice? Yes. Do we believe for miracles? Absolutely. Have we seen them happen? Yes, time and time again, you guys. While, during this seven-year period, I, I prayed for my grandmother one time. <sighs> she was, like, literally going to die. And, <sighs> you know, I didn't pray for this side. Like, I, I didn't. My relationship with God was just kind of compartmentalized in my family a little bit. You know what I mean? They knew I did ministry, but I wasn't going to, like, lay hands on them. You know what I mean? I'm going to keep this work. This is work. No, it was my life, actually. My whole life. You know, I was like, I'm going to pray for Meemaw. You can laugh at Meemaw. Do you have a Meemaw? Um, and I was like, all right, this is awkward. This is really awkward, but I'm going to lay hands on my Meemaw. And I, I, just, I don't remember, what did I ask? I was like, God, I don't know what this is, but fix it. And then, like, she got real bad. And we, I thought, oh, man, I just prayed the wrong prayer. And all of a sudden, she gets rushed into surgery. Well, she had just had a surgery. It was all about her intestines. They had to, like, cut all this, like, a lot of her intestine out. And then when they opened her back up, she had, like, a lot more intestine. And the, the doctor was like, I don't understand. He kept talking to my family members, like, she has more intestines. Like, he was baffled. And to this day, my aunt still talks to me about it. Like, can, do you remember that? Like, that was crazy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. There are times when Rob and I were like real, real broke, couldn't, couldn't pay for tires. And you remember we got that check or somebody, was it a check? For exactly what we needed to buy new tires for your car. No, I said, I want to buy you tires. It was like, Lord, if we buy tires, we can't do anything else. We can't even like pay rent. And, like, we got a check, or, yeah, we got a text. I want to buy you tires. But it was, like, specific. This person didn't know we needed tires. Look at God. God comes through everywhere. 
everywhere. And sometimes it's miraculous healing. And sometimes it's a check in the mail. And sometimes it's a text from a friend saying, hey, I feel like this or this. And you're like, wow, that's real specific. That must be the Lord. Million little miracles everywhere. And it's awesome. We need to, we need to pray for those. We need to ask for those. And we need to receive those. And my question again is, are we cultivating the kind of relationship with God, the kind of partnership, this animated relationship that can sustain those hard times and can sustain those big questions. Thank you. Because when I read that blog, I'm so inspired for a different kind of relationship with God. I hope you are. Because in this world, we're going to have trouble. The band, I guess, can come because I'm over time. Um, So I wonder if you're like me, and when you read this story, where do you find yourself on the sidelines? Do you find yourself maybe cynical? And that's okay. Like, I can be real cynical. I can have my faith on the line while I'm watching someone else beg God to move. And I'm wondering, like, if he doesn't, I don't know what this is going to do to my theology. But the problem with theology sometimes is that it begs and demands answers sometimes. But a relationship doesn't (laughs) always demand those answers. but it requires that vulnerability, and I can promise you that building that kind of relationship with God, that that kind of communion with him that's possible changes your life. It changes your orientation to life. It changes how you receive problems. It changes how you receive people. It changes what you feel is possible. And I know I'm talking about when the miracle doesn't happen, but somehow getting on the floor and the bathroom floor of when it doesn't go right gives you like that relationship there, gives you more faith somehow. Because like you know him. And there's nothing like knowing him. And there's nothing like being known by him. Like, truly. And that's hard as an adult because we want certainty. We want faith like an adult. But when I ask questions that just demand certainty, I feel, I feel like too tethered down to something or too untethered. I feel like, I don't know, like, I think that was actually something else I was going to read. I wrote this in my phone a few months ago. It says, I've been trying to have faith like an adult, but Jesus invites us to have faith like a child. I've wanted certainty, but that's not faith. That's something else. When I don't plague myself with questions that demand certainty, when I'm in my body, when I'm present to my life, and I'm present to the goodness moving towards me, I feel God deep in my bones. And I feel the assurance of something or really someone I've always known. But the demand for certainty holds me blind, imprisoned, and untethered. That relationship, that communion with God tethers you to something bigger than yourself. And you cannot explain it. You can't explain the situations that don't go right. 
but you can feel the peace that surpasses all understanding. You can feel the comforter on the bathroom floor. You can see I'm sad too written in the grout that doesn't just appear always, sometimes maybe, but like the wrestling with God is what gives you that moment. <laughs> that honesty, that shaking your fist at God. And I love that she says, I've, I've cursed him and I've meant it. Oh, wow. Basically, I've been really honest with God about really hard things and I've, I've meant it and he's met me. I'm not really a preacher. I kind of, in my mind, I'm like, I should have given them like three points to like write down. But like, this is who I am. I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I'm a, I'm who I am. And this is the only thing I could hear from God for us today. Ask, ask him again. Ask him again and 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 again. I know some of us are real confused about where God is. But ask him again. Let that ask change to something else. Try so hard, I beg you. To keep your cynic at bay. Not always, because I think cynicism is helpful, because it keeps us honest. This is not black and white. I think I'm brokenhearted sometimes at how easy it is to throw this all away how easy it's been for me to almost walk out. Some of you really know what I'm talking about. Some of you have friends who just walked away and you're brokenhearted for them. Hold them close though. That's part of the wrestling sometimes. But, bro, you keep playing, I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> you know. I'm going to pray. God, help us have a real, honest relationship with you. I pray you'd animate our relationship. I pray you'd give us boldness to ask the hard questions over and over again. I pray you'd give us the boldness to shake our fists at you and not walk away. I pray we fight. For communion, for faith, 
I pray we be vulnerable. That we embrace vulnerability over certainty. That we learn that trust is better than certainty. And that you are better sometimes than what we're experiencing. You've called us to relationship. You've invited us into communion. You're ever present to us. You're just waiting for our presentness to you. And I pray we be present. (laughs) I pray we wrestle. Amen.